Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world Welcome to the Day In Day Out podcast Woo! Today on episode 131 Yes, uh, we. Uh, I was very happy and privileged to have uh, Sam Knowles on the podcast today He is a key, He is a keynote speaker, author, trainer and podcaster We talked about a number of different things on the podcast today He is a data storyteller uh, for company and brands uh, out there So we talked about Cambridge Analytica where how the power of data and how it can be used in storytelling uh, for companies and individuals and yeah uh, where uh, where data might take things in the future with companies as well uh, I've got to say this man is a very knowledgeable knowledgeable fella <laughs> I've got to learn to speak these days a very knowledgeable fella it was a very good conversation and yeah I'd love to have him back on the show again in the near future So please sit back, enjoy the show And yeah, don't forget to subscribe Have a good one, my friends, my life warriors Peace Ah, ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors Wherever you are in the world Welcome to the Day In Day Out podcast Woo, today on episode 131, I am very privileged to have uh, Sam Knowles on. He is a keynote speaker, author, trainer, podcast, uh, podcast host. And yes, he is here today. How are you today, sir? You are, I'm absolutely fine. I'm slightly sad that it's clouded over where I am down in Sussex by the sea, but... Um, we can't have everything. I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Ah, uh, yes. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. I'm sorry that the sun is going down slowly but surely on you. But yes, that, that should be no problem for a buccaneer like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am a buccaneer. That is quite not a pirate, but a buccaneer. That's quite right. Right. What is the difference between a pirate and a buccaneer? Well, the difference between a pirate and a buccaneer is that a pirate and a buccaneer do the same things yeah but historically a buccaneer was paid by the king yeah i don't think they were, i don't think victoria had any, had any official uh, uh pirates paid by the king to do piratical things on his behalf um so there's really no difference at all it's just, i guess it's like one man's terrorist and is another man's freedom fighter right Right, but, yes. Uh, didn't Elizabeth have, like, Elizabeth the first? Oh, you're right. No, she did have buccaneers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So king or queen, king or queen. <laughs> and maybe even Elizabeth II has a few buccaneers lurking around here and there. We can't go into too much detail. <laughs> 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 Who knows where that can lead us? Who knows where that can lead us? You, like, one of the things what I find interesting about yourself is you did classics at Cambridge University. I have lived in Cambridge for about oh, 18 months. Which college were you in? Uh, a long, long time ago, back end of the 80s, I was at the big uh, and brassy Trinity College. Trinity. Uh, and yeah, you did uh, a Master's of Arts and Classics. I did do that. I'm afraid to say that um, some people in the public eye these days have given the classics a bad name, most notably... Uh, he who shall not be named our prime minister but um but uh, some of them have given it a bit, a bit of a bad name but uh you see i studied latin and greek because um when i was at school in a in a little state grammar school in buckinghamshire in the mid 80s i was as they say badly taught mathematics i, I couldn't do it i couldn't do maths couldn't do science so i did the things that i could do which was 
bit of Latin, a bit of Greek, a bit of ancient history. Um, and, you know, although it's a slightly obscure subject, uh, yeah. I mean, it does mean that you can, you know, the, the meanings and the origins and derivations of lots of words. But um, although it's an obscure subject, the thing it did give me was a real sense of how to structure a story. And, you know, the, you know the, the Greeks and the Romans, particularly the Greeks, worked out very early on what the structure of a good story was, the beginning, the middle and the end, the three act structure that underpins. I mean, it doesn't only underpin every great novel, every great um, Hollywood movie you've ever watched, but also every every, you know, every box set, every and also every great business presentation, every great, I don't know, um, uh, uh, um, uh, sermon from a pulpit the beginning, the middle and the end. Aristotle, a uh, philosopher, talked about, he talked about the thesis, the antithesis and the synthesis, the beginning, the middle and the end. And that's three act story structure is what Hollywood scriptwriters are using to this very day. So I fell in love with story when I was a classicist. Ah, excellent. And like, this is the thing, like with regards to falling in love with stories, you mentioned before we like went live, you were in the realms of PR. Uh, like which let's just say, <clears throat> yeah, the Pandora box of PR and everything what comes with it. Um, that is like, well, storytelling, like a plenty. And like, what would you say were some of the hmm, key surprise moments when you started in that realm of PR with like the stories you had to sometimes tell? What a great question. So you see, I call myself now a data storyteller. So I, I, I and we'll, we can come on to how, how, I, how I've changed, how I've changed that. But um, it was very interesting. I mean, did I, I don't think I ever worked for any incredibly hypocritical organisations or corporations, mm. but it was always about putting a positive spin on things. It was all about, always about finding the good in the bad, the interesting in the boring, the um, trying to give a legitimate voice to the company that was paying highest. And whilst I did that for many, many years, although I did, you know, jump back into to school about 20 years ago, but I, I did that for many, many years. Um, I never found it, I have to say, completely satisfying. Now, you know, I work for lots and lots of organisations, uh, big and small, helping them to, these days, to use data effectively in a human way, in an empathetic way that doesn't drown people in numbers, you know, not not slides one to 162, please. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of mass murder by PowerPoint. We don't want that. We don't need that. Um, but how to use it judiciously. But even so... I found it ultimately not terribly satisfying. You might, you might say to me, uh, why didn't you get out of it sooner? Well, you know, I'm out of it now. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it paid a crust for a while. Um, I never, I mean, I, I was never working for corrupt governments. I was never working for, for terrible polluters. I was never working for, you know, for arms manufacturers. Um, but you know, there was something ultimately unsatisfying about it. And, you know, I, I can reflect on it as a reformed PR. I put that behind me. Ah, indeed, indeed. I can imagine PR in this uh, day and age, because look, um, back in the day when you used to do it, like things moved at, they could move at a pace, but it was a sort of different sort of cycle. Now things are like, okay, it's like the mainstream everything for three hours, then it's moved on and trying to control a narrative where that 
might be the case, but then it comes back again and got to react to it, like jumping think, back and forwards. I think I think that's really I think those I think you picked up on two of the really interesting um, shifts that there have been as a result of the digital transformation of the communications world. So, as you say, um, you know, if there was a crisis, I mean, I, I used to quite enjoy doing the crisis stuff. I mean, not because I wanted um, airline companies that I was working for to have a crisis, to have either a, a hijacking or a hostage taking, or, or more likely, a you know, a plane crash. But you know, the crisis stuff and the crisis simulation, getting companies prepared, that was really interesting. But most public relations, I think it's fair to say, I mean, I did it in 89 to 2000 odd. Uh, that was that was my that was my time frame. Most of that was um, most of that was um, really um, relatively slow news cycles, as you say, mm. uh, you know, a, a story would be made on a you couldn't, you know, you could either create or respond to a story that would be made um, on a day and what that would lead to would be news tomorrow and then that would slowly fade away um you know stories would not necessarily last whereas now the news cycles are very 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 much quicker as you say quite clearly because they become a, a, a twitter storm yes and then they go away except that everything leaves, leaves a permanent digital trace so that the reputation of an individual or a corporation or a leader in a corporation is going to um be permanently either tarnished or or or, or improved based on what they do and what they say. Um, and it doesn't take, you know, you don't need really smart tools to be able to find what the chief exec of this company said or, or uh, whatever. I was, I was talking to a journalist friend yesterday um, and she was talking about, we were talking about how things have changed for her in the 25 years she's been a journalist. Yeah. Um, and whenever she's, you know, she, she said her preparation time takes less these days because she's able to, using the tools that she's got, find out exactly what this politician or that business person or or that sports personality said before she goes to interview them, you know, in forensic detail. It leaves a permanent long trace that you just can't get rid of. Yeah, wow. Like, this is the thing. One, when you say it can be done quicker, I was like, um, in my head, it was like, does that mean that the quality's gone down? But, like, from what you've just said, it's like, well, for her, it's been much more of a positive sort of, like, yes. Yeah, uh, has the quality gone down? Uh, um, I mean, I mean, the other thing that the that digital technology gives everybody clearly, every every you know, everyone with a smart device and a Wi-Fi connection, it means that everyone can be citizen journalists. Uh, it means that every, that anyone can create um, a, a following. It means that anyone maybe has a has at least the potential to access and to tell stories in the way that before it was just held in a the hands of of a kind of privileged elite mm. um and that just isn't the case anymore that you know you know and, and you see some of the stories and, and where some of them come from it can be pure chance uh it can also be because you've got did you see that story the other day about the about the um, the shooting stars that were all recorded on those on on the cameras that people have um, on their doorbells. So 300 um, films were captured of these shooting stars that weren't captured on camera, but they were captured on the on the cameras that people have on doorbells because they're motion sensitive. So, uh, and the BBC had a montage of, I don't know, 150 people's um, supplied um, citizen journalists. So I don't know, I mean, maybe the quality has come down if many more people, 
if many more people have the ability to make use, but you know, the big stories, there's only, we only have so much attention. We only have so much ability to be able to, to, to capture attention. We only have so much media that we can consume. I reckon the quality's probably gone up, um, uh, but the, the quality on average has gone down because many, many more people are reporting it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't lament the passing of the days. I'm not like that. <laughs> Lament the passing that ah, oh, I remember. It's <laughs> like going, uh, glory be. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, with regards to sort of how things are now, and like you, like Bob, you mentioned the meet, like the shooting stars, and mm -hmm. on doorbell cameras and stuff like that. Uh, there was this documentary about uh, a man, like there was a missing his wife and two kids were missing and like information this was on netflix and the video evidence and stuff like this was caught off a door cam and like you're like going okay where you're not being filmed um recently with the poor tragedy of that young lady who was murdered at clapham common it was the guy was face was caught off a bus camera and you're like going wow it's amazing on that side of things and you kind of like go where will it end? Like, what is the limitations? That's a that's a really good question. Now, there's do you know I don't, do you know the the documentary filmmaker um, Adam Curtis made a really long program called Hyper, uh, um, a broadcast called Hypernormalization. So, still on iPlayer, BBC <clears throat> iPlayer. He's just had a six part a six part series uh, called Can't Get You Out of My Head. Um, it, it's it went live Feb, uh, February of this year, and it's basically telling the story. Uh, I mean, telling lots and lots of stories about how the world got out of control. Um, uh, but but one of the things I thought was really interesting there, when you say where does it end, he shows a lot of documentary evidence of what some states. I mean, he singles out China because he's telling a lot of stories about the Cultural Revolution and then how that's morphed into into mm. modern times. Um, but uh, the, the, the state surveillance of what people are doing, uh, what people are doing. And, you know, there's this thing in, in, in China, uh, the citizen score, you know, if you, if you don't speed, if you don't jaywalk, if you eat your greens. So I guess that's not maybe where it ends. I mean, I'd always thought that that was a bit, that was a bit sort of dystopian nightmare, but actually judging by what he shows in this, in this can't get you out of my head, that seems to be being made real, you know, day in, day out in China right now. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, it's designed to, you know, by, the, by the, the party, it's designed to get people to live good lives that don't interfere with other people, but that's good lives as defined by, by, by a, an, a largely unelected um, government, rather than good lives as people would want to define themselves. Yeah, no, because that social score, like, here's the thing, like, you, you, you are aware of Black Mirror, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in the last season of Black Mirror, they had a world where everything was done on a social media score, and everyone, like, I watched that and was like, going, eh, eh, you know, what I mean, one of those things, like that, and uh, Person of Interest, another TV show, like, uh huh, yeah, artificial intelligence. I was like, yeah, that'll never happen, and then like literally a year and a half later it was in china i was like okay <laughs> black mirror is like now rapidly becoming <laughs> like yeah uh, indication for the future and when i sort of look at uh oh, oh what is that 
Um, what's that robot company over in the States? Oh, God. Scary. Like, it's like you've got robots who can open doors and stuff. Okay. But it's like, you like, oh, um, it's like, yeah, it had these robots which went around, like, yeah, wiping out people. I'm like going, and it kind of looks exactly like this. I'm like going, Black Mirror's being far too accurate. <laughs> far too accurate. Little, little did we realize that Charlie Brooker is actually a documentary filmmaker, right? Just in, just he's making documentaries about the future, right? Yeah, I think he's a time traveler. He, him and Elon Musk <laughs> came back. Just like, and like Matt Greeling as well, just like, yeah, just keep swinging. <laughs> We can save the future. We can save the future. <laughs> now, right, from PR, now, may I ask, what was your PMT moment? What drove you to data? My PMT moment? Well, I mean, either your research is phenomenally brilliant, uh, or that was, that was an accidental uh, reference to PMT. I suffered from PMT. I suffered from what was known as pre-millennial tension um, in 1999. Your research is brilliant, me. I can tell that. So what? Uh, so yeah, there was this thing. Um, actually, I used to one one of the one of the fun PR jobs I used to do. I used to work for a, a magazine called the Fortean Times, the Journal of Strange Phenomena, named after a, an Edwardian. Um, was he a scientist? Well, he was a, a philosopher called Charles Fort. Um, and Charles Fort wanted to explain the unexplained because there's lots and lots of things that science can't explain. So the 14 times is all about Bigfoot and UFOs and, 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 and. And we, and, and doing the PR for this magazine in the late 90s in the agency I was working at, we, we, we created this um, phenomenon that we called PMT or premillennial tension because at the time, as we were heading towards the millennium bug and... Yeah. The number of stories in media around the world about Bigfoot, UFO sightings, uh, strange, th uh, strange things happening, um, uh, and so on, went up and up and up. And then at 2000, it all, it all disappeared again. But anyway, so I suffered my own version of that. So I was... I was working for, I don't know, 11 different variants of flora margarine um, uh, and Barbie. That was, that was my life in 1999. And I, and, I, and I thought there has to be a bit more to life than this. You know, I loved, I, you know, I'm a great, great fan of, of, of Barbie. We had great fun together and flora margarine, pay my mortgage. But I thought there had to be more to life. So I went to go and see a psychologist. Um, and she did the first series of proper psychometric tests that I'd ever had done on me. And she told me... Uh, she was in. She, she worked in a company that was called Career Psychology, um, and it was the. It, it had been the um, uh, the Vocational Guidance Association, and it was privatised. Anyway, so I did this, and she said, "Oh, I think you're really interested in psychology." So I quite like going to a psychologist to be told I was interested in psychology, and I was and I was reading a lot of psychology at the time and, and evolutionary biology and stuff like that, um, and so I thought, yeah, that sounds good. And she said, I think you should retrain. Uh, as some sort of psychologist. So I can sometimes be quite literal. Um, and so I researched and I found, because I already had this, this you know, really useful degree in classics. Um, I didn't have to go and study a whole new undergraduate degree again. I could go and do a master's degree. And I just moved, my wife and I just moved to a little town just near Brighton uh, called Lewis in East Sussex, where I'm talking to you from today. Um, and there were four, three places in the UK that did... Um, really good masters, one year masters courses in, in psychology. And one was in Durham, one was in Bristol, and one was four miles up the cycle path, I can see out of my window 
in uh, Sussex and that's now the biggest psychology faculty in the country um, and so I applied and I and they said yeah you can come but you need to take the first year exam if you're going to come and do the master you need to take the so for 15 weeks I taught myself every weekend I taught myself the first year syllabus uh, did about 20 hours every weekend sat the exam uh, and remember, I was badly taught mathematics at school, right? I, you know, I, <laughs> remember that? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. So um, I just, I'd just given up a very nicely paying job in the West End of London. I had moved out of London, never to be able to return or afford to return, right? Because you know, property prices just we can do that. Um, uh, and then uh, I went in. I cycled in a biblical rainstorm to my first lecture. And it was a two hour statistics lecture. And I thought, what have I done? Um, but actually, my psychology, my psychology statistics teachers were brilliant. So, you know, I'd learned I'd learned all about story and I'd learned Latin and Greek and Sanskrit and stuff. And I'd learned these, I had these languages. But my, my stats teachers were brilliant because uh, they they well, one used the Radio One playlist as his data set. That was how he explained things to, to psychology students. And the other one, you, he did lots of work in, he was a, he was a mad biker, or a mad keen biker. And we did, he did lots of stuff about road traffic accidents. So he was, they were using real examples that you could, you could understand. And I suddenly realized, that, well, I realized very quickly uh, that this was just a new language, just another way of looking at the world. Mm. Data was another, and I mean, data, you know, Google was only two when I, was, I started doing this. <laughs> Um, so there wasn't a lot of data and communication, but I carried on. And after 10 weeks, I'd applied to do a PhD. And then I started that PhD later than the next year and did that in three years and, and really, you know, learned this new language of statistics. Now, I've got there are members of my family who are proper mathematicians who say that statistics, and my sister in particular, statistics isn't proper maths. It's just, you know, it's just correlation. It's cor <laughs> just correlation in, in different complex. It's not proper maths. Um, but I found it was really, really useful. And in, in PR, where I went back after four years in slightly different form, but where I went back, there was a, there was a real fear of numbers and a real fear of data. And this was just the time that um you know facebook was coming online twitter was coming online there was lots of data to analyze and i could do that i you know they could give me a spreadsheet and i could make sense of it or i could i could do and that and that turned me into what is known as a in in marketing agencies as a planner you know one of the people who looks at the data to see to see what the audience is interested in um and so that was you know i didn't set out with that in mind but i suddenly learned a whole new um language in statistics and data analytics that suddenly became quite useful complete chance oh well, you know what it was a chance what how can i say um very serendipitous as they quite say right. um for moving where you moved four miles away <laughs> yeah, yeah. turning out to be one of the best like statistic well psychological like places you could go in the country yeah, i was lucky yeah well, but like, this is the thing. One of the things I'm curious about, like when the sort of big change happened, yep. for PR companies, was it a case, all of this sort of, like, if, like, because I sort of look at PR and advertising from the sort of realm of, it is a, you've got a number, like say, if you've got a magazine circulation of 10,000, and then, oh, it gets passed on three times before it gets thrown away. And like, that means you're getting a reach of 30,000. 
but it's kind of like there is a number but it's kind of eerie theory if you get what i mean were they sort of like fearful of that okay this is there is a little bit of smoke and mirrors in pr but now it can be sort of kind of quantified so i think that most I can be rude about it because I worked in it for so long. I think that most uh, or many, many, until quite recently, many, many people that work in PR, many, many PR agencies haven't applied the rigor necessary to understand what, what impact that their work actually has. Mm. So PR, PR budgets are, are the PR budgets are very usually very much smaller than advertising budgets. Um, advertising budgets, particularly those that buy TV historically, although that's getting harder and harder to make work. Um, have been easier to demonstrate the the impact of, but um, uh, I think that that you know the, the the PR's great concern has been that actually if you if you really put it under the microscope, if you sub, if you subject it to really rigorous analytics of you know what what happened before we ran this campaign, what happened as a result, you couldn't attach sales to it. You could very rarely attach sales to it. I think advertising is 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 more it has more more history of more rigor but that's because the spend the spend has been bigger um i think that the world of social media and influencers and um, social media platforms has changed the game a bit and particularly for those for those companies that specialize in that area it's changed the game a bit because there is much more of a of, of a direct response much more of a direct relationship now it's not it's not the same as building and sustaining sustaining a brand but it's much more about a direct relationship so you can see if an influencer talks about a product uh, you and that's the only thing that you're doing you can you can tease out the effect but i think that that really i mean pr sort of hoped that analytics would go away for about 10 years and then it didn't and then advertising said okay well if you're not going to do it we'll do it mm. um, so i think that they've largely missed the boat um, uh, and and others have grown up and uh, and i mean there are still tens of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of people who work in 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 the in inverted commas industry um i don't think many of them have got much of a rigorous or analytical bone in their body and that's i'm i'm i'm, I'm generalizing i'm being yeah. very rude about my former employers and uh, colleagues but um, that's what True. i experienced right because like this is the thing i think like the sort of power of data i don't think it was kind of, like i think general members of the public don't realize how powerful the like data we give up quite freely and still are today. And it's genies out of the bottle, tube is out of the toothpaste. It, there is, we are now down the path. We're not gonna be able to get it back. Even though you, even though you may have heard that yes, there's been beef between Apple and Facebook with regards to what sort of data you can get from like on Apple side, but it doesn't really sort of affect Apple. Well, it doesn't really affect Facebook as much as Facebook might be protesting, if you get what I mean. Because they can yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, what we didn't naively, what lots of people didn't realize is that if these, if, if these services are free, then you have to pay somehow, and the way that you pay is by giving up your 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 personal data uh, voluntarily, um, such that you can then be served uh, and reserved and reserved um, ads that are supposed to be um, targeted to you based on your demographic status. Although I was I was on a conference the other day that said 
that um, that uh, you know third-party third cookies. I don't want to get too technical, but 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 third-party cookies, which are these little bits of code attached to websites that track you around the internet, um, uh, and that Google are getting rid of this year. And so the, and so Apple got rid of them a long time ago. Um, Firefox, you haven't haven't been there for a long time. Uh, Edge not been there, and then when Google Chrome gets rid of them, they that then that means of tracking people will not be possible anymore, um, and that's partly through data privacy, um, you know, data privacy concerns, you know, things like GDPR, uh, and there's a similar uh, law in in California. But anyway, while they're still around, I, I heard a piece of data that said uh, that um, these third-party cookies, based on your behaviour and what you look at, are able to get your gender right 46% of the time. That's less than tossing a coin, right? <laughs> if you tossed a coin, it would be 50%. So actually these, you know, the cookies, when cookie, these little, these little bits of little bits of code that are attached, you know, that, that say, oh, oh, look, we all went there and, and some went there and they must be, oh, they're both interested in this, but he's interested in that and he's interested in that. Um, actually, they probably said she about me and they probably said that, you know, you were in your late 60s. Um, actually, it was an incredibly blunt tool that wasn't designed for, for, for the way that, that, that media agencies and advertising agencies have used it. Um, and I, but, but, but to go back to your more serious point, and you know, there have been some good documentaries about this. Um, the Social Dilemma on Netflix, uh, you know, all the stuff that there was around Cambridge Analytica and um, the campaign that particularly Carol Cadwallader on the, the Observer ran on, on Facebook, but lots of others as well. Um, uh, you know, if, you, if, if it's free, you are the product. You know, we've, we've, we've learned that the hard way. Um, and it's interesting to see, I mean, Apple, I mean, Apple wants, I mean, I'm a, big Apple fanboy, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm a really big Apple fanboy. Um, but Apple wants you to live in its in its ecosystem. It wants you to live in within its walled garden. Absolutely. So does Facebook, so does Google, so does Amazon. Um, uh, but the, but 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 the, in getting you to live inside its ecosystem, it will then protect you from all the nasty outside ads and all the nasty outside brands wanting to track you, so long as you are, you know, an Apple loyal. So um, I, I, I get that. I get that. But, you know, it's very interesting. So, I mean, I've used the, I, I've used Macs. I've run my own business for seven and a half years and I've used Macs. I was forced to use PCs all my life at, at work. Yeah. Um, and I and I always wanted to be, a, I, I was always an Apple fan, but I always wanted to. So I, I've had Macs ever since. Um, and because of the, the pop-up blockers and so on that are built into Safari, uh, bec uh, the Apple browser, because of the, you know, I, I, borrowed, I borrowed a friend's PC when I was staying with him a, a couple of years ago. And it was just pop, 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 pop. I said, how do you live with all of these ads? He said, oh, you just kind of filter them out. You know, I haven't experienced that for years. Um, and that bombardment of, of, uh, both the platforms and then the advertisers on the platforms, I just find exhausting. So I live quietly in my little Apple world and, you know, uh, don't tend to see that. But, but no, you know, if it was free, if Facebook is free, if Instagram is free, if, if, uh, if, if all of these services are free, then we are the product because our data is then sold. Um, I'm not sure... Do you know, I'm not, I still, you know, I, I do this, I, I, I'm really interested in the way that data is used and misused by businesses and politics and, and so on. I'm not certain that it was down to Cambridge Analytica that, that 
that you know the Bre the Brexit referendum. I, I'm not. I don't believe that really. I don't. I don't think they're sophisticated enough. There may well have been ads that were served to people. Uh, it may well have changed some minds. But I. But I do think it's true that 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 we have given up our data very quickly and easily without realizing what we were doing. I don't think we were we were conned. I just don't think we knew. Um, and I would, you know, there's a really good book. There's a really good book by a, an American um, kind of digital guru called Jared Lanier, called Ten Reasons Why You Should You Should You Should. It's called something like Ten, Re Ten Reasons Why You Should Close All Your Social Media Accounts Today, or um, uh, I, it's something like that. But anyway, he's he, he's he's on this social dilemma um, documentary on Netflix, and I, I I'm increasingly of the mind that that. I mean, you look at the next generation, right? Next generation coming out. I've got a seventeen-year-old son. Wouldn't be seen dead on Facebook, you know. You know, they've got. I think they've possibly got the tobacco industry's problem, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're moving on. They're moving on quickly. Um, yeah, it's it's TikTok or Twitch or basically, if they're not on either of those, they're on a sort of dedicated Discord server, and they're like going along that type of line of things. Uh, like I, with regards to the sort of Cambridge Analytica and stuff like this, I think they were kind of scapegoated. Uh, if you get what I mean, that yes, they were, they were one of the big players in that side of things. But I don't think they were the only player. It's like it was like a magic no, no, no. was done, and they were the one. They were the patsy. Everyone went for them, and the other people sort of disappeared into the shadows. Yeah, I mean, in the, I mean, the, the Channel 4, I think it was Channel 4 Dispatches did a, did a, a sting operation on Alexander Nix, the, the, the chief exec, um, you know, hidden camera in the bag and so on. And he was boasting, you know, he was boasting about all sorts of things he would be able to do. So I don't think they were, I don't think they were, uh, I think it's quite clear that they weren't necessarily the most ethical of businesses. Um, uh, I, but I also think, I do genuinely think I think it's still overstated what they could actually achieve. I don't think they get anywhere near, for example, the Chinese government citizen score type type um, <laughs> so, uh, kind of not surveillance, but um, uh, but I think that I think that you know tech can do that, and I just think you know whenever we sign up for anything, we're giving another little bit of us, ourselves away. Oh yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be good. I'll be able to do that. Uh, yeah, but but you've given a bit of yourself away. Um, I'm not anti. I'm not anti. I don't think it's it's immoral i actually think these i think these these organizations there's almost you know morality is, doesn't really come into it it's almost amoral rather than immoral but um yeah, yeah I, mean, I i've i've definitely scaled back i used to live my life completely in public which is how you found out about pmt and the rest of it no uh, uh but uh i do live my life quite in public but i i'm very much less uh, minded to share lots of stuff about what i where i am what i'm doing partly because i think it's a bit desperate mm. um and you know i'm quite old uh, and who wants to know? And partly because I don't want—I don't want to be—I don't particularly want people to to. You know, why, why would they be interested? But but also but also, um, why should I be sharing it? You're a private person. Um, like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're public. Uh, like with, I would say you're most already public in the realms of how it can help your business type of Absolutely. thing and but when it comes to like family friends and everything yeah. like that it's like i don't need to tell you that it's like 
have a nice like have a nice time with this but you don't need to know this about me i think you're right i think you're right yeah like the, one of the things like because you mentioned the social dilemma a couple of yeah. times like it it's one of those things when the internet first came around and like i'm old enough to know a world without the internet thank the lord for that <laughs> it's like <laughs> my my first encounter of the internet was in a Hartford Regional College, and I heard there's like their their mortal. I was like, "What's that?" Anyway, it's the internet. Huh? <laughs> no idea where it was. Was like, okay, fine, the internet. What are you talking about? But I I think one of the things was like, yes, oh, it's going to be down to advertising, and it was like, okay. That's how we're paying for everything. And everyone was like, advertising. Because the way we understood advertising was pretty much like it will be in a newspaper or broadcast on, a te- like on your TV. And yeah, that, as, that was as far as it went. Uh, someone down the line went, yeah, we're getting all of this data. <laughs> we can do this with this data. And no one, I think, no one, like no one on the sort of, customer side understood that and when it did come out and they used it and everything like this it was like oh how comes i'm getting all of this extra stuff and how comes you kind of know me a little bit too well uh, the power of the profiles that can be built is terrifying at times <laughs> terrifying but i think with a lot of the things with regards to how they sort of run things through algorithms and go, this is what you're after, and this is what it is. I think we've got to also take a little bit of responsibility in ourselves with that, because an algorithm is an algorithm, and if you've looked at five pictures in a row of one thing, it's like, oh, you want more pictures of that. Like, if you varied it, it will give you varied results. But I I think there is an element of people still not taking responsibility for their own actions when they're on the internet. you know what I mean? I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. Yeah, I think you're. I, I think you're right too. By the way, I, I did mention it a couple of times. I don't think it's a very good. I don't think it's it's terribly. It does says anything terribly new. Mm. Uh, the social dilemma, I, and I also think that the dramatization of you know the 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 family that tried to detox and you know the the, the boy whose phone gets put in a cookie jar with yeah. a time who knew the americans had cookie jars with time locks on them that was that was the thing i learned from that um although i think that's probably quite you know given that i quite like a cookie it's probably quite a good thing um but no i think i i think we do bear i think we do bear responsibility i think i i, I think you're definitely right um it's it's easy it's easy it's easy to to overlook it i mean i think one of the things you know whenever it's the birthday of the internet tim berners lee comes so tim berners lee comes around and says it wasn't supposed to be like this it was supposed to be something different and there was no re i mean i mean it's not true but there was well maybe it's true there was no reason that the internet had to be funded by by advertising it could have been funded by subscription but because Mm. But but the the reason it took off so quickly is because everything was free and funded by advertising rather. But when you get companies with, you know, Facebook's got, what, 2.5 billion subscribers? Something like that, yeah. Active accounts. I mean, you know, you only... And they can sell you... um, uh, They can sell you an audience of, you know, cricket fans who live in Sussex in their 50s. um, And they'll get 
you know, me and 10 of my mates to buy the latest, whatever it might be. Um, uh, and um, uh, they, they've got, they can, they can, they're able to, to help brands to target in a very, in, in a very successful way. It didn't have to be that way. It is that way. I, I, I mean, you know, you look at both, I mean, Trump for his own reasons and now Biden for his reasons, both the Republicans and the Democrats in the States are, are very anti-big tech for, di for different reasons. Mm. Um, and I think that Biden will legislate it. And, and I think, you know, antitrust legislation will probably take Instagram away from Facebook. They'll have to be separate companies. But I don't think it's going to mean the end of the advertising-led internet. Um, I, I think that genie, as you were saying earlier, is that genie is well out of the bottle. Yeah, I think if they do break up um, some of the big tech companies over in the States, um, I think people will go, oh, yeah, it's good they've broken up because they don't have control over this, that, the other. But I think people are missing the true benefits of breaking up some of these big tech companies because then once they're broken up, now they're forced to fend for themselves and innovate and push and like maybe come up with something completely new. I think there is a little bit of a realm of stagnicity, is that a word? It's like in like, well, stagnant. You used it as a word, I understand it. Yeah, but it's got a little bit stagnant on that side yeah. of innovation with regards to big tech. It's, you know, it does this, but it's not really doing anything more than that. I, I mean, I, 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 so I deleted Facebook. I mean, I tried to delete the whole thing, but I only deleted my own account. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope that, um, I mean, about, about, about four years ago, I was, I was, you know, talking in quite a lot of conferences about Cambridge Analytica around Facebook. Mm. Whilst Cambridge Analytica was, was, was still a thing, but, but uh, you know, I, I was talking about why I thought this was a bad idea. And I remember on one occasion, somebody said, can you give me three reasons why I should delete my Facebook account? And I think I gave them six. And I didn't, wouldn't say I got a standing ovation, but I got a very loud round of applause. And I, when I was on the train coming home that, that night, I thought I was on Facebook. And I thought, I've just, I'm such a hypocrite. I've got to delete it. So, so, so I did. And I came off Instagram earlier this year as well. Um, but I was, all, I, but I, when I was talking about, you know, um, uh, these cookies only being able to get gender right 46% of the time, mm. I was always fascinated by the ads I got served on Instagram because Listen, this is the first time we, we've we've spoken, but I'm you, I'm you can already tell I'm not Mr. DIY, right? I'm not Mr. I'm not I'm not a very I've got away with words. Uh, I, uh, I I can I can codify things. I can write things. I can help people through. But I'm not I'm not really an intensely practical person. And all the ads I used to get were for magic, fantastic new sink unblocking. If you're if you need to reinflate your tires, I listen. I, I just call green flag or something. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm hopeless at this. And I used to get so. And it must have been well. You're obviously a bloke. Yeah. Oh, actually, they, they did get one thing. They get one thing right. They did. They did know that I liked because we got we got a, a beginning of you know middle of about uh, end of first lockdown last year. Um, uh, beginning of the first lockdown, uh, an old cat of ours died, and then uh, we sort of, you know, grieved for this cat, and then we wanted another cat again. I've always been a cat person, and we got another cat, and so I was posting lots and lots of pictures of of, of our little cat Millie, and, uh, and and then I got served every single day. I got served. You could put your cat on socks, so they got that right. You know, I mean, not that I would ever wear socks with my cat on them. I'm not that. I'm not that soppy, but but um, at least they knew I was a cat owner. 
Okay. But I think I think these I, I think these algorithms. I, I think I take your point about this this, this kind of stagnant. I, I like it. I'm going to use it stagnicity. But about, about about the fact that you know these big companies that have bought everybody else mm. not innovating as quickly and as uh, I mean TikTok. I think is. I mean I'm not I'm not either active or or have a, an informed opinion about it. But um, its sense of positivity. I mean, it's the last under last year under, under lockdowns. It grew faster than any other social network has ever grown. Yeah, uh, and the way that the way that people. I mean, I've got a client who's in her early sixties who uses it as, as a source of inspiration for cooking. Um, my son does the same. Um, but the, its positivity and its sense of fun, I think, for me, had been missing from things like Instagram and Facebook and uh, and, and so on. So I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, so I'm not, I'm not a luddite against things, but I, but I, you know, we we need to bear in mind why why these things are free and what that means for our data and therefore what that means for our eyeballs, what we get put in our eyeballs, like cat socks and drain unblocking, right? Yeah, well, cat socks and drain unblocking that sounds like a fantastic title for a book. <laughs> 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 like, like. One of the things I would say with regards to the realms of data and everything like this, um, mm -hmm. we've talked about how it's being used in sort of more of the sort of social media side and basically yeah. like telling. Uh, but like the other side of data, when it comes to sort of now, so like the rise of the self-driving car, <laughs> which like is coming to us in the next five years, more like 10 possibly 15. <laughs> I'm waiting for the first person to get knocked. No, someone has been knocked down by a self-driving car at one point. Uh, but yeah, but that's sort of building that mass of data on that side of things. Um, they say it's going to be all things to everyone. Do you feel sometimes that people have jumped the shark with regards to the power mm -hmm. of data? And what yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. And I just had the image of the Fonz um, uh, jumping the shark because uh, that, that, that's such a that's such a that's such a great um, uh, a metaphor. Um, yeah, I do, and I I, I, th I think they have because you can live a, a very productive and engaged life and have nothing to do with any um, uh, social platform. I mean, I think one I mean one thing that I found very interesting. Mm. I found very interesting about. Uh, what's happened to um, the way that people shop under the pandemic, right? So <laughs> lots of people don't want to be around other people, don't want to go out to shop. I mean, lots of shops are closed still, um, mm. but lots of people don't go out to shops. They don't want even to go to the supermarkets. Um, online shopping gone through the roof. E-commerce gone through the roof. E-commerce e on its previous trajectory between last March and last June, it grew the same as it was predicted to grow in the next five years. Yeah. And that's not, and that's not just among, that's not just among, um, you know, uh, millennials, uh, that's across the board. Um, people, you know, today the new 50 pound note was released by the Bank of England, right? Um, which thank, you know, one of my all time heroes, Alan Turing, you know, a lot, you know, the, 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 the Bletchley Park guy, the guy who was hounded to his death because mm. he was, he was caught, you know, anyway, the most, the most, the most brilliant, you know, the inventor of the modern computer uh, featured on the 50 pound note. But um, one of the things that on the radio, they were saying to the chief cashier of the Bank of England, um, 
it's great that you've produced an unforgeable 50 pound note but does anyone use cash anymore um uh and she, and she she you know she'd done her media trading she was very good she, she no no people do and, and but i but i think it's interesting the 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 way that you know when we are when and we literally all have been in this together when we are forced to do things in different ways then things can jump very very quickly mm. um i mean look i mean I, I i'm a massive movie fan uh and i can't wait to go back to cinemas um but but I'm going to be guard probably a bit guarded about it anyway. Um, but I'm, but but look at you know Disney Plus launched in March 2020, right? And they got 90 million subscribers, which was a year five target before the end of the year. Uh, yeah, uh, I signed up to that on in April. <laughs> I was like, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, me, no, me too. And you know, and you know, I, I come from a from a, a Star Wars and a Marvel house and a, a and a Pixar house. And you know, Christmas morning, what you know, couldn't see anyone, but Christmas morning, we you could watch Soul. You know, it was yeah. it was. Uh, um, but 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 really interesting that um, in the extremes of something that we will never well let's hope we never experience something like this again. Um, but but things that have been plodding along. Okay, Netflix wasn't plodding along. Netflix was on a big growth. But yeah. It, but but then you know Disney Plus. Okay, they've got lots of good content. The right thing happened at the right time. E-commerce was was growing, uh, but it's just gone through absolutely through the roof. And I don't think those things are going to go back um now i don't think that that you know when you pay for a service like a disney plus or you know i don't know tesco online or whatever it may be i don't think you're vulnerable there for your data to be sold on like it maybe would be on a on a social platform but they do know absolutely you know if uh, i've got what i've got one friend who hasn't been to a supermarket since for a year now for a year he's not he's not Paranoid, but he's just you know he managed to get an early uh, booking slot, and he just repeated it every week, and he's, that's just the way he, he's got used to it. But he was, I went for, I go for a walk with him every every second Saturday. Good, good friend, um, uh, and he was just saying, you know how um, the shopping almost does itself for him now because they know what he and his family like. <laughs> Yeah. So I said you like so you'd like a chicken and some lemons and some yogurt and yeah I would you're right you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah no but like this is the thing there's uh, the story of like a family in the states um it like basically they shopped at Target and like basically and like mother father and like yeah all of a sudden a letter came through from Target going congratulations on your newborn child and it was like fathers are going. Goes to the mother like, what, what, what is this? My it's like, it's like, I'm, you know, like, oh no, it's nothing to do with me. And like when, like it says you're pregnant. Is that like, no, 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 no? Went to the daughter. Is that like, no? Like don't be ridiculous. Yeah, a week or two later, the daughter fessed up at, that she is pregnant, and it was like, I, what? <laughs> Target knew about your daughter being pregnant, and you knew that she is pregnant. It was like. I think I, I think I, I, one version I've heard of that story is is that he he went into he went to he either got in contact with Target HQ or went into his local Target. Yeah. Said, how how dare you suggest that my fifteen year old daughter is having sex? And then yeah. had to go back and say I'm really sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> she 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 she'd been she'd been buying pregnancy multivitamins or something, hadn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and that was, but that was that was nearly ten years ago. You know, that was near, that was two thousand twelve. That that happened. Um, so it's not like it's you know. The, the, so yeah, the, yeah, the the power to predict. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess you know. On one level, I mean, I'm not saying about that family, but on one level, we are remarkably predictable. Uh, mm -hmm. It is possible to build alg algorithms that, that say. Um, that say, yeah, well, if you're doing this and doing that, then you know it's quite likely. You know, it's like it's like it's it's the old Amazon thing. You know, the old Amazon Amazon. Do they do it as much? I don't know now. The old Amazon thing. You know, people who bought this book also bought this book. You know, people who like this also like this. Yeah. Um, we've all, you know, oh, that yeah, that looks interesting. I'll have that. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I've just given up my own free will. Um, yeah, free. Yeah, you can get too philosophical about it. Um, I think you know. I think largely things are things are, are positive. But but the fact that we've given away so much information about ourselves, uh, and the fact that that um, a small, a very small number of very big private companies that have grown at enormous scale, faster than any companies have ever grown in the history of corporations. Mm. Um, uh, I think that that is. I don't think it's scary, but I just think the the fact that we're all connected allows that to happen at, at, at scale. Yeah. And yeah, with that connection at scale is just <laughs> I don't know, like there is no way I think you can stop this juggernaut like going here. It's just gonna keep on ro rolling, keep on rolling and keep on rolling some more. Uh but I can think of worse things what can happen, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's called twenty twenty, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to stay indoors. <laughs> we don't want to. Tough. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> now, now I have to ask. Like you have, you are all author of two books. What are these two books about? So they are about using data smarter. So all of this conversation we've been having. So the first, uh, the, and there is a third one brewing as well, um, which I will also tell you about. So the first, so I, so in my day-to-day -day life as this data storyteller, I help all sorts of organisations, um, and that can be charities or businesses or third sector organisations, um, uh, often businesses because they tend to have the budgets, but not not exclusively. I help them use data smarter. By that I, I mean in a couple of ways one is to tell smarter stories mm -hmm. stories that are more likely to be um listened to now one thing that particularly businesses that sell to other businesses business to business businesses um do is they they mistake um if we if we if we tell people if we give people lots of facts then they will just give in and believe us um and people don't do that people get bored and they switch off and they start playing Candy Crush, and they just stop listening. Um, and I think that businesses that use too much data or too complex data or irrelevant data to try and persuade people, they don't really understand how people make decisions. So one of the bits of psychology that I thought was fascinating that I learned way back when was that, you know, it is now pretty well established that we make our decisions emotionally. We make decisions emotionally and we justify them rationally. You know, we decide to run away or run towards something to eat it, mate with it or buy it um, based on, on using our evolutionarily ancient reptilian brain. And then we justify it with our human brilliant cerebral cortex. Um, and if you get that wrong, if you get the balance between the rational and the emotional wrong, if you try and 
browbeat people into submission with data, they just turn off and run away and go and look for somebody who is more interesting and human and telling beginning, middle and end stories, um, even very short beginning, middle and end stories. Um, uh, they go and look for somebody else. So I, in my years and years of working with businesses, I established what I believe were a number of golden rules about uh, telling stories with data and put that together in a book that is called Narrative by Numbers. Um, and it's about how to tell powerful and purposeful stories with data. Um, so that's the first one. So that's one thing I help people do. I help companies to use data in a human and an empathetic way. Because I think, you know, uh, you've always got to think about and know and reflect your audience, right? You've got to, you know, who are you looking to persuade? If it's if it's the finance team in a big corporation, you mm. can probably get away with a few more numbers than a than a bunch of preschoolers, right? I mean, just I mean, I'm, I'm caricaturing it, but 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 you know, if it's the analytics team or the marketing team, if it's if it's the general public, I mean, you know, look at some of the. I'm quite rude about quite a lot of government communication quite often. Um, uh, um, if, if you look at that hastily cobbled together press conference on Halloween, um, I wrote a blog that was called Nightmare on Downing Street, and it was trying to justify the second lockdown, although, you know, I don't know what it was like around you, but it wasn't really a second lockdown. It was, yeah, most things will sort of stay open. Anyway, um, uh, but, but it was a terrible piece of data storytelling. It put an impenetrable graph with five lines and error bar. It was just awful. Um, um, they could have done it in a very different way. So I help people strip away the complexity and to tell stories that make people say, that's interesting, either tell me more you know, if you're if you're you know in, in a cafe or a pub or on a wall where you meet someone at a party and they bore you with oh yes i i i, I was born in 1967 uh, in january it was the 16th it was a monday two o'clock you know you're already asleep <laughs> but, but 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 i mean that is my life story i was just beginning to tell you uh, not my usual voice but if I, you I if you can't <laughs> if you cast a little bit of information and you pique people's curiosity, uh, pique people's curiosity, then you are much more likely to get them to say, that's interesting, tell me a bit more. Mm -hmm. And so I help companies do that. The other way, so that was book one, then the sequel uh, is the modestly titled, you know, I can, I can, I can, you know, we're on YouTube, I can wave them at you. There's the first one. Um, oh, there we go, I'll do that again. Um, uh, the second, the, the second, the second one is all about insight. Yeah, I, I, I'm never far from them. It's all about insightful thinking. So, so I think that insight is a really interesting thing. Uh, I think it was an under underspecified thing. I don't think there have been. Um, I mean, listen, the, the world I've hung around in marketing services chucks the world word insight around like it's confetti. And I think actually in this big data world, um, people have mistaken data and information and casual observations for insight. For me, insight is a profound and useful understanding. You know, it's profound because it really gets to the heart of the matter and it's useful because it allows you to do something interesting and different with it, right? Um, anyway, I, um, I train in both of these areas and, I, and as I say, I, I'm a codifier. I like, to, I like to give frameworks and structures and principles and golden rules and just to give, when I train people, I like to give people hints and tips that they can use in their jobs tomorrow. Um, I don't want to, you know, I'm not interested in talking at people about the theory of this, that and the other. I can maybe write about that, but I don't want to, if people give up three and a half hours of their time to be in a room or in the last year on a Zoom call with me, I want them to have fun. 
I want them to feel that it's worth they've taken half a day out of their, of their working day or they've been sent to this by their but oh, oh, I've learned something useful. But then, then they, they can go back to the desk and they can immediately apply what they've learned. So I've got this framework for, um, for uh, using data to get much more insightful understandings of the world that they're working in, how, they, how they're gonna innovate. Um, uh, and that's proved to be, um, you know, people have found both of those to be very interesting. Now, uh, they, and you know, one of the, they, they both saw, I've just, just got my end of year statement from my publisher. I won't tell you how many or few books I sold, but um, they're doing better than I thought they would. Um, I mean, I sold several thousand of each of them, um, which is great. Um, but um, uh, for, you know, for, for I mean, they're, they're quite light. I mean, I, you know, they talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Star Wars and, um, and Alan Turing, who's a, a big hero, but uh, as I mentioned already, but anyway, um, they're, they're quite light and they're written in a very friendly way, but they, they, they help to give some structure to how you might use data, one, to tell stories and two, to innovate. The third book that I've just started the research and some writing on is going to be called ask well at the moment it's going to be called asking smarter questions so if you're going to use data so it's a, it, so it's a, you know it's a george lucas like trilogy narrative by numbers how to be insightful asking smarter questions i don't know which order they come um i know i do um but i mean so i'm really interested in you know if you're going to find something out and you know you're you you ask questions you know i love the way you ask questions you you know you 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 you, you it's, a, it's very relaxed and laid back and uh, and sometimes there's not even a question mark but you know because we're humans and we like turn-taking conversations I'll jump in or your other guests will jump in and we'll, we'll kind of take the thought on but anyway one of the things I'm doing is talking to um, people whose jobs depend on them asking smart questions so I've spoke I spoke to a former head of um, West Yorkshire Police, who created um, a homicide and murder, um, homicide and major uh, incident team after the Yorkshire Ripper case in the cases in the 70s, 80s, because um, West Yorkshire Police's reputation was was in the gutter because they he was into Sutcliffe was interviewed nine times and, you know, uh, and uh, wasn't caught early enough. So he built this team. Uh, uh, this guy built this team using a different way of working and one of the key ways he, he, he did this was to um was to get people to ask smarter questions to ask questions in a different way i've spoken to a nobel prize winning biochemist about how in science you ask the right type of questions i've spoke to a zen buddhist sensei uh i spoke to a journalist i'm speaking to uh, market researchers i'm talking to lawyers so I, I'm talking to 999 call center uh, um, uh, 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 options. So, you know, people often say you want to ask open questions, right? You don't want to ask closed questions with yes, no answers. Yeah. Um, but if you're running a 999 call center, you need to get people are panicking. Something bad is happening around them. Maybe one of their loved ones has collapsed in front of them. You need to ask questions. that. Are, so I'm really interested in... The way that you, the way that the act of asking questions gets the information that different professions need, and then what does that tell us about working with data? So that's the type of book that I write. 
I hope that I mean, you know, people say they're quite fun. Uh, as I say, they're quite flippant. They're quite tongue in cheek. The footnotes have got lots of stories in them. Uh, and I hope they're useful. Well, like this is the thing. I think they will be useful. I think they're going to be very useful. I think with regards to um, the next sort of few years, well, going up forward, I think with using like storytelling and using data correctly, the power of that, when they both combine, I think will surprise a number of people if they can sort of implement that in like in a company they work for or like starting a business themselves they i'll be i think they'll be very shocked at how things can like go from zero to like 100 miles an hour i just need to be sort of ready for that type of uh thing to happen uh yep yeah now yeah uh, yeah i i think and i think it's interesting because i think that the um i think for it's partly because when many people particularly well, particularly in the English-speaking West, but particularly in the UK and the States, um, education makes makes you specialise, right? Mm. You know, the more the longer you spend in education, the more specialist you get. You know, you're quite general at GCSE level. You'll do three or four subjects at A level. You'll do one or two subjects at degree level, and that makes you narrower and narrower and narrower. And what traditionally, certainly in the UK, that's led you to do, and to a lesser extent in the US, but in many countries. Um, you either become an artist or a scientist, right? You either become a storyteller or an analyst. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm caricaturing that, but, but, and so people think, you know, you're either, you're, you can either do that bit or you can do that bit. Well, I made, I wouldn't recommend anyone follows my path, by the way. I wouldn't recommend anyone does, does the number of degrees or spends as, ma as many years in university as I spent. I mean, I had a great time, but, but I wouldn't recommend it because, you know, I'd, rec I'd recommend that you, you take a slightly different path to understanding how to bring these two things together. The analytics and the storytelling. You don't need to be a, you don't need to be Shakespeare or, or Quentin Tarantino. You don't need to be um, Alan Turing or Tim Berners-Lee, brilliant analysts. You don't need to be at that level. And it's perfectly possible to bring these two things together. If you're human in the way that you use data and you understand and interrogate data, and if you're empathetic about how that message is going to land, you can bring these two things together to trigger both the emotional brain and the rational brain to think either I want some of that or do you know what, count me out. And I think that's important. I think you know the purpose of any communication for me is to persuade others it was to try and persuade others, not to agree with you necessarily, but to persuade others that, 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 that well, one, you're worth listening. And either they're going to say, yeah, do you know what? I like that. I'm going to buy that. Or I'm going to support that team. Or I'm going to vote for that person. Or I'm going to believe that person. Or I'm gonna, whatever it might be. Um, or it's to get them to run away and say, no, thanks. That's not for me. I'm not interested in that. But much better to get that type of reaction, I think, I think it's so much better. You don't want people to go nah or or just to 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 zone out. You want them to to pay attention and either get the hell out or or become become one of, one of your fans. Much better that they you know really hate you and start bad mouthing you. Um, God, don't trust Sam. He's a, he's a nightmare. Um, uh, much better, much better. You have that because then you know then you you know where they stand rather than just you know I yeah. Oh, I'll consider it. You know that—that's you don't want that response. I, I don't want that response anyway. 
No, no, I understand that. Yeah, clear, concise answer or <laughs> a clear, concise emotional response. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Liking that, liking that a lot. So with regards to like I sort of slightly touched on it lightly, but where do you think this is all pushing towards, say in the next five years? Uh, I think there will be, uh, I don't think there will be digital haves and haves nots. I think that, that what one thing the pandemic has done is to, across the generations is, as I say, you, you look at, you look at the, what's happened in e-commerce and you look at the number of Ocado vans and Tesco vans and Sainsbury's vans that, you know, all, all, all over. I, I think you look at the way that Amazon has performed, but not just Amazon, all sorts of kind of on. on, on. So I don't think it'll be digital haves and have nots, but I do think it'll be people that, that really don't care about the fact that their data has gone. And that though, so I think there will, there will be a proportion of the population that is quite happy for everybody to know everything about them, including companies, including companies that advertise. But I think there's also, I mean, I see signs of this in different generations, um, but there also be people who are open and people who are, who are closed. And I don't think that's a, that's a, whose data is out there and whose, whose data isn't. Um, uh, I don't think that's going to have a sinister impact on um, those that, either those that, gi that give up their data or, or those that, um, don't give up their data. I think there's going to be more and more regulation. So I think, you know, I know people got very bored with GDPR, but you know, the right to be forgotten, um, people not being endlessly targeted, um, individuals' right to own their own data. You know, that's happening in that's happening in in the states, partly through Biden, but there's also this thing called the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Amendment. Yes, what's that for? Anyway, um, uh, but which is like GDPR, and then you see countries uh, like India and Singapore will apply will apply the the laws like GDPR, but apply them locally. So I think that that through citizens taking their their own data back, deleting either deleting Facebook or putting really tight controls. Um, so I think citizens taking their own data back. I think that. Um, uh, legislation and the kind of spirit of the age uh, i i i'm optimistic that they'll be, they'll become more of a balance there'll be less power in the hands of very very few these things happen no way mm -hmm. like we're recording right now but like yeah technical yeah. issues are technical issues and yeah like one of the things i've learned with doing like these podcasts remotely is yeah you just got to roll with the punches and you can't let it get in the way um, you can I'm, I'm sure you can stitch it together elegant elegantly um do you want to ask that question the previous question again or uh, or, or had i whittled on quite enough <laughs> is that no no it was like oh god i'm just trying to like get the question back in my head There's kind of where's it where, where's it all heading yeah, where's it all heading uh, with regards to the next five years, with regards to the data and information? So I think that it's likely that we're going to head into uh, a direction where we have not so much the digital haves and have-nots, 
um, but more those that are open with their data and those that are less open with their data. Um, uh, I think there will be a there will be a group of people that that want to take back control of their own data. Um, uh, it might be that the big tech companies are required to pay for you know legislated to pay for uh, the data of of the citizens that they take rather than. Um, just to take it and and to serve advertising back. Thank you very much. That's terribly kind of you. Um, so um, uh, you know, look, I, I don't think that the 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 move to e-commerce is going anywhere at all. I think that'll be you know that that, that across the generations. That means that that that, that people's behaviours have changed. But I think that um, you know, partly through consumer pressure, partly through government pressure and legislation and regulation. Um, we'll have, I don't think we'll get the internet that Tim Berners-Lee wants or wanted or imagined he was setting up when he set it up, but I do think that we'll get, we'll get, we'll have more of a hybrid model, more of a, more of a world where it's not just about uh, uh, advertising, it's not just about um, the commercial uh, exploitation opportunities. Uh, that's my, that's my optimism. Maybe, maybe I'm too much of an optimist. I don't think you are. I don't think you are. I think it's like when we all start out, most things, we have a clear idea of in our heads of this is how it's going to be. But the truth of the matter is like as we go along down these like the journey of life, as you can put it, there are a number of like twists and turns which lead us like to new things. And where we think we should be sometimes is a little bit different to where we end up. Uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Now, um, like, so, like, so far, all the Sams I've known in real life and mostly in the realm of fiction have been outstanding people. And I'm going to add you to that list. So I can. Well, you're very kind. Oh, no. um, I can reveal to you that, yes, I am a being of supreme cosmic power. Mm. And yeah, I can grant you one wish and one wish alone. But here's the thing, before you say anything, you can't wish for world peace. You can't wish for the coronavirus to be gone because look, I have had to consult the powers of Dolly Parton. And that is, a, that, that is oh, I'm, I'm in servitude for the next thousand years. No. <laughs> and you can't write down a list of things and go, I wish everything on this list comes true. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So what would your one wish be, Sam, my man? Goodness me. Goodness me. Um, that uh, that the, the, the fantastic diversity that in a in a very smart but but slightly short-sighted species, the fantastic diversity that exists um, around the planet in terms of culture and tradition and food and mythology and religion and uh, the, 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 the brilliant diversity did not lead to in-group, out-group behaviour and people wanting to um, just be with a narrow in-group, but that actually we could, 
and this is not a it's not a, a plea for world peace. Promise, I promise, it's not a plea for world peace. Um, yeah. uh, but that that but that we could harness this brilliant diversity um, and celebrate difference rather than uh, look to use difference as a wedge to be driven between us. And I, you know, I'm not I'm not making any small or big p political points but i have got you know i think that innovation and progress comes from diversity not from monoculture um and i would that that that's what that i'd like more people i'd like more people ideally everybody to um celebrate the brilliant diversity um of as i say you know we're, we're a very narrow species i mean you know we're we're 99 percent um uh, or ninety-eight percent banana and ninety-seven percent fruit fly, right? I mean, we're 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 not a very we're not te- a terribly diverse species, but but I think people make um, difference. People use difference. People have always historically used difference as a means of driving wedges between individuals and communities. And I think that the world is a much richer place when we celebrate that diversity. So that's what I wish for. Is that is that too airy fairy? Well, no, like, you know what? I'll allow it on this occasion. It was close to a bit, it was oh, close to well peace, but I'll allow it. But, no, 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 no. No, look, I'll allow it. Like, yes, but like, I think through the power of conversation, and I think like if more people can like have long form conversations, I know I'm saying this as a person who hosts a podcast, a person who started a podcast. And yeah. It might sound a little bit self-interest, but I think that's something which has been lost, I would say, over the last sort of 20, like 20 years or so uh, with like the new millennium. Now it's just more like, yes, can I just slam on this person? Can I just get points rather than actually let's have the proper conversation? Let's see if like which idea is right or wrong or are we both wrong? But we have like formulated something new maybe something better than our, both our original arguments and make that flourish and go forward. And yeah, more conversation needs to be done because if it doesn't, um, it's going to lead to a dark place. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a Ted talk called when ideas have sex. Um, uh, and it's, and it's, and it's, 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 it's about, more than 10 years old um and it's quite interesting uh, I, I mean i think you know when you put when you put different when you put you know put, uh, one of the examples in that ted talk is that nobody in the world knows how to make um a computer mouse uh, and there, there was an, an essay in the 50s that nobody in the world knows how to make a pencil and it's true that there's no one individual that knows you know um neolithic man everyone uh, knew how to make a hand axe right you got one flint and you yeah beat it and you chopped it off and a hand axe is exactly the same size as a computer mouse, um, so it's quite it's quite a nice analogy. But you know, no, no one person in the world knows how to um, run the businesses that make wire and plastic and silicon chips and molds and injection molds and haptic sensors and all. That. But but and yet, you know, thousands of companies make computer mice. Um, no one person knows how to grow the trees to make the wood that goes around the pencil to mine the graphite that goes in the pencil that, to make the rubber that goes in the end but but when you know we're really good at coming together we're really good at coming together into groups of 
well, 150, 100 to 150, but then we we you know, have subsets of 100 to 150. Um, but, but, you know, when we work together, we are so much, you know, when ideas are put together, when uh, people take on stimulus and ideas from different, um, different worldviews, different ways of looking at the world, very much better things, very much, I mean, also very much worse, but very much more elaborate and complicated things happen. You know, think of the progress in science, you know, because of everything that's happened before, an individual scientific researcher can stand on the shoulders of giants and create something amazing you know the 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 uh the oxford astrazeneca uh vaccine that i've got pumping around my body uh jab one uh 10 days old um that was developed in january of last year uh over a weekend um by scientists who who who, who and then they needed to synthesize it and create it and test it and all the rest of it and i don't want to even get into what i would be feeling if i was a mainland european citizen no we won't get it. we won't get it. <laughs> um, but 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 they are but you know the but they're standing on the shoulders of giants on on what is an immune system mm. on on what type of virus is this on how do we um get the body to produce the antibodies that it needs without infecting them and uh, you know, it was done over a weekend last January um, uh, because there's so much had been done before. So when ideas have sex, when we get together, um, uh, but particularly a diversity of uh, of opinion and of attitude, then we, you know, and it's not. And you're quite right. It's not about saying this is right and this is wrong. It's about what it's about is 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 learning from as learning from one another. So you know, it's not world peace. I promise you, it's not world peace. But maybe it's. A bit, maybe it's a bit too close. I yeah, I had no notice of your question, so um, I had to do a bit of tap dancing there. <laughs> no, no, I'll let look. I'll let you have it. I'll let you did your tap dance and you tap dance well. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mm, sneaky Sam. Uh, yes, the air of the buccaneer about you. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Now, I've got to say this. It has been a pleasure having you on today, Sam. An absolute pleasure. Now, would you be able to tell the lovely people out there how they can find you out on the big wide web? So having said that I've deleted everything, of course, I'm incredibly discoverable. Um, so uh, on the big wide web, they can look at um, uh, insightagents.co.uk. That's the business I run. Uh, they can look for narrativebynumbers.com or howtobeinsightful.com. Those are the those. That's where the that's where the books hang out. And on uh, they can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Sam Knowles Data Story. I'm very very discoverable. Um, or at Insight Agents or at Sam Knowles. You know I'm I'm very very discoverable. Um, you won't find very much that's interesting about me, and you won't find any pictures of my cat anymore. Oh. Okay. Okay, like, yes, I've got to say once again, thank you, Sam, for coming on. <clears throat> uh, been an absolute pleasure. And let me say this to you, my friends, my life warriors thank you for staying on, listening uh, to this show today. It has been awesome. Uh, I like to say, yeah, please be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic, be all the positive bees you can be in this world, and then some. And thank you very much, and have a great day. Peace. And we are 